Hello, and welcome to episode 68 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. I am Leah Heigl, and I'm here with my co-host, Aidan Muir, and today we are talking about tocasterone. So quite an interesting one. Aidan knows about it a lot more than I do, but honestly, looking over the research in the last kind of couple of weeks kind of shows me that there's not a lot to know. Um, so we will, we will go over it in all the detail we can. So tocasterone is a form of ectosteroid, which is a plant and insect equivalent of, of hormones like testosterone. So being that it's somewhat similar to testosterone, I guess you can kind of... Um, see why people have gravitated towards this when thinking about things like muscle building. So where did its hype actually come from? Um, so it was mentioned on the Joe Rogan podcast and that being such a popular podcast and obviously great source of information for young men. <laughs> no, I'm not going to riff on it, but um, that's where it was mentioned. Obviously Joe Rogan's huge um, and he was on, so it wasn't his podcast, it was Andrew Huberman's, but both huge podcasts. I think I think it was on it was on Joe Rogan's oh, it was podcast, on both but as well. Andrew Huberman was a guest who was talking about it. Got you. Um, and Huberman said that it basically acts the same way as Deca or another testosterone derivative. It increases testosterone performance and recovery by an equivalent amount. Big call. Um, and uh, there was also this other guy that Aiden talked about to me that has apparently sells tocasterone and also is like a really big advocate for it. Um, Derek from More Plates, More Dates. Um, and he seems to be kind of, yeah, one of the biggest promoters of tocasterone at the moment. So quite a few people talking about it, big people with big podcasts. Um, so you can kind of see where it's got, got its hype from. Yeah, for sure. And I guess one of the, like, jumping into like, why does it have this hype? Like, I think people are attracted to the fact that it, is not testosterone. It's not like, it's like mm -hmm. a legal way to potentially build more muscle is like, and with steroid like results in quotation marks, because no one can <laughs> see that on the podcast. Um, that's like theoretically what people want it to be. So going through like the Derek more plates, more dates kind of thing. Um, he did a video response to the Joe Rogan clip from Andrew Huberman. Cause like, as I said, it was like getting, it was getting a lot of hype from that. And Derek had already been talking about for like, at least one or two years leading up to that. So he was already considered to be like an authority on the kind of topic. So he's like making a video in response to that, just like responding to some claims. Um, I'd previously watched that video like a year ago or so because um, I had a few clients who were looking at tocasterone and other ectosteroids. And I was like, I'm just going to rewatch that in the lead up to this podcast just to like get another summary of it again. And firstly, he addressed the claim that is like taking anabolic steroids that Andrew Huberman made. He talked about being like Decker. And Derek pointed out only one study exists comparing it to steroids and it was comparing it to Dianabol, not Deca, and it was in a rodent model, both of which were not really talked about by Huberman, which is like <laughs> the pretty important details. Um, and it actually outperformed Dianabol in that study, which is wild because Dibol is well known to lead yeah. to some pretty crazy gains. And yeah, that's just a, it's an interesting thing that obviously adds hype to it, but I went and looked for that study myself, and from what I could see, it wasn't actually tocasterone. It was ectosteroids. Tocasterone is a form of ectosteroids. We're kind of talking about tocasterone because that's the most popular form of it, but there's not that much research at all on tocasterone. There's no human research whatsoever, and there's minimal research just on ectosteroids in general. Um, but as I said, I, I tried looking for it, but maybe I just found a different study. I don't actually know. I can't confirm it was exactly the same study, but that's what I found. Um, 
Other points Derek pointed out, it doesn't increase testosterone, which once again, that was quite literally a quote from Andrew Huberman. He says it increases testosterone. Um, so it doesn't increase testosterone, but that's a positive and a minus. Like, um, or not a minus. Like it's, it's interesting because it's like, that's a positive in that, although it doesn't increase testosterone, people who are taking this also do not want side effects, right? Mm-hmm. And anything that artificially or whatever you'd want to say increases our testosterone also means when you stop taking it, our body's no longer naturally producing it at the same level. Um, Derek has had a lot of people do blood work while on it and showed no change in testosterone, um, which also means it doesn't suppress production either. But that's the interesting thing. He, he's highlighted all of these things, um, saying it's it was never compared to Decker, doubling down at being a single road study, all of these kind of things. It makes him seem more trustworthy. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but it's a really interesting tactic. I um, Do you know Gary Vaynerchuk? I've probably talked about him a little bit. Yep. Yeah, so um, Gary Vaynerchuk is like a, a business guy. I used to be a little fanboy of him, but um, I haven't seen much of his content recently. But he tells a story about when he started Wine Library TV, which is he had a, he had a wine business that he was taking over from his father, and he's, he was one of the first YouTubers ever talking about wine. And he said he got on there just... He's basically just going to advertise for his company, right? Mm-hmm. And the plan was to like review wines, but make them all seem really good so people would buy from him. <laughs> but then he's like, I turned on the mics and I was like, or the cameras, and he's like, I just it just clicked for me. Being authentic is going to work. Makes you trustworthy. It makes you trustworthy. If I if I have a bad wine that is something that we sell, and I say that it's bad people are going to listen to me when I say mm. something good about another one and they're more likely to buy. And I think that's really interesting. I've heard Amazon, that was one of their thought processes with reviews. They let people leave bad reviews on products that they sell so that you trust the good reviews more. Interesting yeah, idea. It's a, I mean, it's a good tactic. Yeah. And as we mentioned, Derek sells tocasterone. Mm-hmm. And so he can say all of these things, but then he shows anecdotal results. And he's like, this person took tocasterone for yeah. six weeks and they got really good results. And suddenly it's like, oh, well, He's, he is quite trustworthy because of him saying that. He also says with these anecdotal results that there are non-responders as well, which is, is a red flag, obviously, <laughs> because there's not many non-responders to Debo. <laughs> you just don't not respond. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, it's an interesting thing. So, like, going through all of those things, that's, like, really how it's scanned hype because it's, it's legal, doesn't have any side effects um, that people are aware of, and there seems to be that kind of potential that people are talking about. Yeah, I think one of the biggest kind of red flags would be that there's just no human research on it. Um, So, like, prior to 2006, there wasn't even any human research on ectosteroids in general. It was all, like, rodent animal models prior to then. Um, So, in 2006, though, a guy named Bill Campbell put a team together and it was a study of 45 lifters and one group took a form of ectosteroids, again, not tocasterone, um, but a a form of ectosteroids. And after eight weeks of supplementation, there was just no improvement in muscle or or strength versus the placebo and no change in testosterone either. So we do kind of have this one study showing nothing, nothing. in regards to ectosteroids yeah. and again, not test, uh, tocasterone specifically. Um, and in 2018, the ISSN released a position statement on supplements where they concluded that ectosteroids don't really do anything for muscle strength or performance. So that's kind of the overall position at the moment, kind of where, I guess, yeah. evidence-based people stand on things like tocasterone and ectosteroids. Um, but there was one big outlier study, and I am going to let Aiden go over this because he knows 
it a lot more than I do, but it showed some pretty crazy results for ectosteroids. Yeah, so before that, that, that Bill Campbell, Campbell study from 2006, like obviously no no major results or anything like that. I found, I found it really interesting when I first saw that one because it's like Bill Campbell's got a, he's got a great reputation for yeah. doing legitimate research and everything like that. So I was like, oh, it's cool to see somebody like literally just ask the question, does this work? Let's put it together a study. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was no real studies like that until 2019, which is this outlier study. Um, it's the most recent study, to the best of my knowledge, as well. And they got insanely good results, which is part of why it seems to have really gained hype since 2019. This study had 46 men with around one year's experience in the gym, and they took a supplement that was labeled to contain 100 milligrams of ectosterone, once again, not tercosterone, and they took it for 10 weeks. And they made way better muscle gains than placebo. Fun fact, the placebo group lost muscle during that time, which is always a red flag because it's like, what were they doing with this training protocol (laughs) for 10 weeks? Um, It's kind of weird. But the most weird aspect of this study, well, firstly, was that the the gains they made were – people have done, like, comparisons and been like, this is better than certain studies where people have taken steroids for 10 weeks. Like, they made really good gains. And the the most weird thing – was that when the supplement was um, measured later, and they included this in the study, they mentioned this, it only contained six milligrams of ectoserone, which is 6% of what is labelled. So it's like they mm. thought they were having 100 milligrams, or they thought they were providing 100 milligrams because they assumed that was like the perfect dosage or whatever, um, which is another thing we'll talk about in a second, but um, <laughs> what, what should be the perfect dosage. But they only took 6% of what they actually meant to have, and they made incredible gains. What does that mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the findings just don't add up. And, like, I don't know, like, speculating on what it could mean, I'm going to jump to the obvious, like, was there steroids in that supplement? Like, if only 6% of this was ectosterone or 6%, 6% of what was labelled, yeah. what if, like, a large chunk was Anavar or Devol or another, like, Yeah, actual like, steroid? if you can go that wrong, um, like, that's not just a mild yeah. difference between what they thought they were giving and what yeah. they were giving. It's quite big. So, like, what else? Yeah. Like, it obviously wasn't a regulated yeah. substance. So, like, I'm not, like, chucking accusations out there, of course, but I'm like, no, no it's a possibility. And then yeah. beyond that, though, like... They had quite small sample sizes. So even though it was 46 men, it was split up into four groups and there was only about 10 people in each group. And when you look at it from that perspective, genetics play a massive role in this. Like I think about this a lot with a lot of the studies that we like make strong conclusions from. What if some people just gained muscle more easily than others? Like if, if you chucked me in a study with like a genetic freak and we did the same training, training protocol, um, but a slightly different nutritional protocol, mm-hmm. the genetic freak would make way better muscle gains than me. And people could read that and be like, oh, that was the nutrition protocol that caused that. And there is also a possibility that in this study, there was a bunch of genetic freaks in one and then a bunch of like people who just are prone to losing muscle. In the yeah, it was study. such a small study. It, like, yeah. It's definitely something that could happen just by accident. Yeah, so many things. Um, so what are our thoughts on... <laughs> I think my thoughts were a little clear throughout the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, so I think I think you've you've given a nice summary. I'll I'll give some some of my thoughts. Firstly, it is expensive. Um, I'm not going to name the supplement store, but there is a supplement store in Australia that this was just a quick Google. I'm like, where's the where's the quickest place I can find Turkestrone and see see the price? Um, Sixty tablets were sold for eighty nine dollars. That's more than a dollar per tablet or more than a dollar per serve. There's a lot of cheaper supplements than that, particularly when factoring in whether something is working or not. I am of the opinion it likely does nothing, but 
we are both, I hope, of the opinion that if research comes out in large scale showing that it works, oh, we will change our mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always open to hearing uh, new research. And look, if it turns out that like that study wasn't an outlier, I'd be on this tomorrow. Same um, But yeah, at this point, not so much. And the other question that I ask this of a lot of things as well, like even, it was even something I considered with ashwagandha, which we talked about in a, in a previous podcast, but it's like, how do we know what the right dosage is? Yeah. Like the way to figure out the right dosage of something beyond obviously mechanisms and everything like that is to do a lot of large scale research and see what dosage works best. And when I talk about ashwagandha one, it's like, there's a lot of things of ashwagandha that were kind of questionable being like, does it help with this? Like, we're not even sure it helps. If we're not even sure that it helps and how do we know what dosage is the optimal dosage? That question is much larger for ecdysteroids and tercasterone because, well, firstly, tercasterone, there's been nothing done. How do we know what the correct or the best dosage is beyond anecdotal kind of what people say works for them? Um, and there's always reason to be sceptical of that. And then the ecdysteroids one where it's like, well, <laughs> if 6% of what is labelled, if that happened to be a repeatable thing and that worked really, really well, why did they choose 100 in the first place? Why did they, like, how do we know why they chose people uh, certain dosages to start off with? We've kind of got to find stuff that's working first and then make a lot of studies to find out the right dosage. Yeah, and, and on top of that, in terms of cons would be if you do compete in um, like a tested sport, it is something I'd probably just stay away from because it's it's obviously not regulated, particularly at this point. So yeah. as a con, you know, even if you're like considering it, like if you're in a tested sport, maybe don't go down that route. Yeah, I don't really have an opinion on that. I'm sure WADA's got it like... I don't know if it's on the watch. I haven't looked at that. So, but yeah. like, if it was on, I think it's just so new and unregulated yeah. that I'd I'd be mindful. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay, this has been episode sixty-eight of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. If you haven't left a rating and review, that would be super greatly appreciated if you could. But otherwise, thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.